Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're coming to you tonight with our top 50 midseason prospect list for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, as you know, we do two lists a year for ranking the top prospects in the farm system. In the past, it's always been at 30. This time around, though, we're going up to 50. And we're going to break that down on tonight's show. But first, On The Verge is called, brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So tonight we unveiled the top 50 prospect list for the Baltimore Orioles farm system. The article will appear on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this show later on, it's probably on the site right now. If you're watching our live stream, look for the article to hit the website tomorrow. Uh, Nick did a great job, as always, compiling the reports. And before we get into the list, I'm going to let Bob explain exactly how we get to the final rankings. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You know, we each ranked our own guys, 1 through 50, and then sent it over to me. I put numerical values going from number one overall, getting 50 points, all the way down to the 50th prospect, getting one point. Add them all up and then put them in order. And tiebreakers went by, let's see, first was... If two people, two of us had one guy on the list and they had the same amount of points as a guy who only one of us had one, but a little bit higher, I gave it to the guy that was on multiple lists. And then I went by who was had the highest out of, it's complicated in that way, but tiebreakers were uh, pretty sorted out. There wasn't too many of them this time, so that's pretty much it. They're in order, and it was pretty interesting to say the least. Our plan for tonight is to get into the top 30 players in the system. And then for the remaining 20 players, we're each going to pick a handful that we want to highlight, uh, talk about why they are on the list, whether it's been because they've struggled a little bit this year and maybe moved down, or maybe we think they're a rising prospect in the system. Um, And that will be in the later part of the show. But we're going to dive right into the top 10 part of the list. And no surprise, number one remains Adley Rutzman. Uh, who has pretty much met, if not exceeded, every expectation that was there for him preseason. Having a great year at Bowie, not only at the plate, um, but really behind the plate as well in the way that he's worked with that pitching staff. Plus, he's gotten some action at first base this year and doesn't look too bad over there. But uh, Rutschman, at this point, if he's not the top overall prospect in baseball, he's pretty close, and he remains number one in the Orioles farm system rankings at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Yeah, I have him uh, on my ice cold section of the down on the farm report this week, but 
that's not enough to knock him down from number one. Uh, he, uh, it's, it's kind of understandable. He's coming back from the Futures game. I noted that maybe that's a bit of a letdown to go from like talking to King Griffey Jr. and hitting 500-foot blasts in Coors Field to coming back to the daily grind of double-A baseball. But he still managed to hit a double, had a two-hit game. And what's most important is his leadership and just – seems like he has a lot of team building, team chemistry type uh, aspects to his game that doesn't really get talked about. Or Actually, it kind of does, but you know what I mean. And I think I saw an interesting tweet that had his numbers when he was starting at catcher, starting at first base and starting at DH. And I think he had like a 700 OPS when he's a catcher, like a 900 OPS at first base and then over a thousand when he's DH. So that's to be understandable. Uh, maybe he's waiting for that call up to AAA like we are, but. We'll see if it happens this year. Yeah, that, that was everything. You see Bobby Witt Jr. get promoted as well, and so Orioles fans are kind of losing it again. But, um, yeah, you look at this list, it's a no-brainer. It's Eileen Rutschman, great season behind the plate, defensively, offensively. I think at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were nitpicking, you know, the batting average and the strikeout rate. And now, like, the walk rate and strikeout rate are about even at about 16% right now. He's got a 138 WRC plus and on a base percentage of almost 400 uh, he's handling a, a pitching staff full of guys that I think have climbed up our top 30 list. Uh, a lot of guys who maybe not be in our top 30, but they're definitely guys who we're going to focus on a little bit more as the season goes along. Guys who I think a lot of us had written off. Um, and even the, the studs like D.L. Hall have credited a lot of that to Adley Rutschman. And I think D.L. Hall's quote before the season was like, Adley Rutschman can make an average pitcher great uh, behind the plate. So yeah, no question. This guy's a stud. There's no reason to nitpick his stats on their double A right now. And he will be in triple A very, very soon. I have no doubts there. <laughs> Even uh, John Means commented on Adley Rutschman's framing abilities. And I mean, what has he been working with <laughs> his time with the Orioles? So I think anyone would have been better. But uh, that's a good point as well. Yeah, we'll see when Rutschman gets to triple A, but it has been fun to watch him uh, at double A this year. And number two and number three on the list. Again, no surprise, Grayson Rodriguez comes in at number two, and we're recording this just days after what might be the best professional start of his career um, as he dominated the Erie Seawolves over the weekend. And then number three, D.L. Hall, who currently is on the injured list at Bowie, but looked really good before he went on, um, and we expect him to be back uh, hopefully soon. But Rodriguez and Hall, we knew how good they could be coming into this year, and it feels like yet yeah, that both of them have gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, with Hall, I noted the ground ball rate a lot before he got hurt and the fact the walks were cut back a little bit. And when you look at Grayson Rodriguez, you look at the stat line, you watch him pitch, you got to dig really deep to nitpick. Like he gives up home runs from time to time, but that's about it. His walks are way down from 2019. And to watch him pitch – especially when you get a good angle from center field and you see the ball move in the strike zone, particularly the way that fastball tails, I don't know how anyone hits him. I just don't. And he's right now arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball. Yep. They really don't hit him uh, much at all. But when I look at this system as a whole, I was thinking about this today when I was finalizing our list there. When I look at the system as a whole, the depth is amazing. We got that. We, we talk about that every single week. Um, but and, and I legitimately believe that there are guys who didn't crack our top 50 who are going to become contributors in some way at the major league level, even if it's, you know, a 4A type player. There are guys that we should be talking about and probably should have made our list but didn't because there's so much talent. But 
look at the very top of the list with Rutschman, Rodriguez, and Hall. And these three guys are studs and they're performing like it. And that's comforting. Like that's, that makes me sit back and enjoy these minor league games a whole lot more. This isn't, you know, like last year where we're making excuses for Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken. Like these guys, they're giving us nothing to, you know, find fault in right now. Um, unless, like you said, you really have to, to nitpick here. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, that's starting against Erie. And Erie's lineup has Spencer Torkelson, Dylan Dingler, uh, Riley Green. That is a lineup. That is a major league, close to a major league lineup right there. And Grayson Rodriguez made them look like a little league team on Sunday. Um, and when I watched that start, I got vibes of his last start in Aberdeen. Like, it is clear that Grayson Rodriguez might be getting too good for double-A level. I don't think that's a stretch. I think he could be a major league pitcher right now. Of course, we know he's not going to get promoted, but um, I, I, I see that with Grayson Rodriguez. And D.L. Hall, like you mentioned, he's become a much more complete pitcher, huge ground, up, ground ball numbers, like 60%. Strikeout numbers over 43% before the injury. Um, these guys are studs, and I don't think we really have a lot to worry about with them right now, which we couldn't say that. You look at the guys at the top of the list over the past couple of years, there were major question marks. I don't see a whole lot of major question marks with these three guys. Yeah, um, I think it can be – it's not arguable that he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. I think it's without argument that he is the best. And I think, honestly, if anyone's going to compete with Adley Rutschman for best prospect in baseball, period, I think it might be Grayson. I mean, the kid, the kid is just a complete stud. Uh, his worst start of the year was the start before the most recent one when he went five innings and gave up three runs on three hits, zero walks, six strikeouts. That's his worst start of the year. So, I mean, the kid, and he just came out pissed off. Like, I can't let that happen again. I gave up two home runs, and then he strikes out, like, everyone in the stadium. Uh, it's incredible. I, there's not enough good things to say about Grayson Rodriguez. I think he would be the second starter behind John Means at the major league level right now. Uh, D.L. Hall, it's unfortunate that he's hurt, but it sounds like he's kind of getting close. We should see him maybe in August sometime, so that's good. Um, he, before the injury, had did nothing to – slow down the hype train for him. He might be one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in baseball. So it's a dynamic duo. Whether Hall ends up at the back end of a bullpen in the middle of a rotation or some kind of elite swingman type guy like uh, Eric Longenhagen kind of predicted with his uh, report before the season started, he's going to be a key contributor to the Baltimore Orioles for a long time to come, and it's very exciting. We'll have a lot of time to talk about this over the next, uh, you know, year or probably a little bit less than that. But it does feel like it's becoming a realistic possibility that all three are in the major leagues, not just sometime next year, but maybe by the all-star break even, uh, especially if Hall is able to get over this injury and get back, you know, healthy and pitching well late this year, or early next year. I don't see any reason why not. Like I said, that start, like that, that start proved to me that Grayson Rodriguez, like there, there is no doubt. I think, I think Bob is right. that There is no doubt that this is the guy uh, in minor league baseball. And you talk about the guy who was the top pitching prospect before Grayson Rodriguez was named and all these major outlets doing their re-ranks was McKenzie Gore, the San Diego Padres. He's got the yips. They don't know where he is. Like they sent him, I believe last I heard a couple weeks ago, they sent him like to an alt site type thing uh, that the Padres have. I don't think he's pitching in, in AAA right now for them uh, because it's this like two years, two straight years now where he's got the yips and they're not, it's not coming back for him. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez is in complete, complete control. And it's, we've reached a point where it's okay to just let yourself go and enjoy this ride. Like this is the dude that the Orioles are going to rely on. Yeah. I want to, 
actually say one more thing that is exciting. It's his walk rate. I mean, it's 5.7 in high A and then 5.3 in double A, getting better. Uh, he does not walk, guys, but he strikes, what does he have, like 97 strikeouts and, you know, a lot less walks. So, yeah, my one hope for this offseason is that the CBA includes the elimination of having to delay guys at the start of the season for service time purposes, and we can start 2022 with Grayson and Adley with the Baltimore Orioles. That would be nice. Um, We'll move on to number four on the list, and that is Gunnar Henderson. Uh, If you listened to us before the season, you knew that we thought Gunnar Henderson was really going to be a guy that rose up the rankings this year, and that's exactly what he's done. Uh, He moves up a couple of spots from where we had him in January, and I think now is pretty much regarded across the board as a top 100 prospect in baseball. After coming out of the gate strong at Delmarva, he earned a promotion to Aberdeen and got off to a really slow start there before uh, turning around. And of late, he's looked more like the Gunnar Henderson we saw in Delmarva. He just turned 20 years old, uh, hits for power, left-handed hitter that can hit long home runs out to left center field, uh, drawing a lot of walks this year, good overall plate approach. And while there are question marks about his defense, particularly his throwing accuracy, still apparent when you watch him, he's an athletic player who has a good arm strength. So Henderson uh, more than earns the number four ranking here on our list. Yeah, I saw one list that had him at number 37 overall. I think it was Prospects Live, so that's a little more fantasy-oriented, but still, I mean, I think that shows that I think a lot of midseason updates are coming for the big dogs like Baseball America, Fangraphs, all that. I think he might take a pretty significant jump, but even if not, he's just just turned 20 years old, and he adjusted well after one for 31 start in high A. He's He had over 300 last week. He's been hit for much power last week, but we know the swing is there. Defensively, he has, I wouldn't even say a hard time getting to balls. It's that I feel like it's just more of a, he just needs to work on fielding cleanly. It seems like when I saw him play, he let a couple balls get under his glove. He got to it, but it just got under his glove. Arm is good enough, but at the very least, he could be a pretty good defensive third baseman that can just slug 30 to 35 home runs a year. Yeah, the I mean, the videos speak for themselves. This is a guy who every major outlet had as like the pick to click this year. Um, and the guy that was going to, you know, the one prospect in every system that's going to blow up this year. And for the Orioles, it was always Gunnar Henderson. And they've been proven right so far. Um, even with that slow start, I mean, the overall numbers still look like they're still like league average numbers in Aberdeen right now, even after the massively slow start. And I think his last game, he was like three for four on Sunday. Um, or so. So he's coming around. He's got the opposite field home run there with Aberdeen as well. When we had Matt Blood on, he said, this is what the Orioles want to see. Like he, they want to see these guys challenged. They want to see them uncomfortable. And so far, Gunnar Henderson hasn't been in the system for a while, but the story with him every single stop along the way is a slow start. He's learning to adjust and then he comes out on fire. So we're waiting for that moment in Aberdeen right now. But like you mentioned, he just turned 20. His birthday is June 29th. So he's not going to turn 21. He can't go and buy a beer until after the all-star break next year. Like that is where he's probably going to be in double A. He will be in double A at that point. Uh, We're probably going to be sitting here asking why isn't he in triple A at that point? And he's still not even of legal age. So that's another guy. I mean, this, this is the top list. A lot of questions about guys we're going to talk about later on, but like I mentioned, the guys at the top of this list, there haven't been big question marks and that's huge in my opinion. One thing with Henderson that really impressed me was that when he was in the middle of that slow start at Aberdeen, he was still drawing walks. 
And I'm looking at the numbers right now. He's got a walk rate just over 15% at Aberdeen. Now his strikeout rate is higher than it was at Del Mar, but it's well into the 30s. But the bottom line is that Henderson has a good plate approach. We didn't see him dig too deep, get frustrated, and just not get on base at all. He's still drawing walks. And I think that's a skill that can only get a little bit better as he gets older and gets more experience. Absolutely, especially for his age. Yeah, I think his eye will continue to get better as he works with this system that Matt Blood and the Orioles have in place. We've heard them talk about, you know, they don't care about a strikeout. Take a strike if it's on the outside corner. Just look for your pitch and hit it. And I think that's only going to let these guys' patience at the plate get better. And it's already, I think, Nick, you tweeted out the article from um, Travis Salchek about how it's data, <laughs> the analytical data has proven that the Orioles have significantly improved their on-base skills from 2019 to 2021. So number five on our list is someone that you've heard us talk about a lot if you listen to our last two shows covering the MLB draft, and that is Colton Cowser, the newly signed first-round pick from the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, outfielder out of Sam Houston State, you know, mid-major school, which we've talked about a lot with Cowser, but again, very few question marks. Center fielder, who runs fairly well, has great contact skills, draws walks, uh, does not strike out a lot at all. The two biggest things I think with him are going to be how much does that raw power develop as he gets into the minor leagues and whether or not he sticks in center field long term. But the floor with Kowser, in my mind, is a guy who's really is really high because if nothing else, you're looking at a good corner outfield bat that's going to play the position well, have a good arm, get on base, hit for a high average, and still give you decent power. And so he lands at number five on our list, and I think it's a pretty fitting ranking. Yeah, I think with Kowser, you know, I'm not too concerned about, you know, he's a smaller school guy, quote-unquote, and he's got Team USA competition like we've talked about before. Every outlet you see, every guy from Eric Longenhagen, Kevin Goldstein, MLB Pipeline, you name it, they, they're all very high on this guy. Like this wasn't as big of a reach as the Kirsch that pick was. Uh, last year um, arguably a lot of people have his hit tool like his as far as college hitters go him and uh, Henry Davis over there from Louisville who the Pirates look number one overall Kowser's right there if not a better hitter uh, than Davis is in some people's opinion so I don't think this was that big of a reach we're not going to get into like draft strategy here because that's been played out endlessly online but this is a good pick and when you look at other guys in this list like the outfielders there are a lot of questions maybe about Kershaw's health and using Diaz as a prospect now. You add Kowser to the mix with some of these other outfielders we're going to talk about. This is a guy who, a college guy who won't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. So if Kershaw and Diaz maybe don't pan out, you've got another guy waiting there, waiting in the wings who's going to come up fairly quickly as well. Yeah, we talked about Kowser a lot last week and how he's Nick Marcakis that can play center field and is fast, not slow as molasses like Nick was. But the thing that I noted or I saw since then that I liked a lot was just that he has that growth mindset and that data driven approach. Apparently he like looks at his at bats between, you know, he gets up to the plate and adjusts based on video and on the analytics. So it seems like he fits right in, in every manner when it comes to Elias and the Orioles. But I do have one question for you, Zach. Uh, it's pretty important. What was his food order when you saw him out to dinner that, that night? <laughs> I didn't, you know what? I didn't see his food order. I was just told by someone who who was serving him, Colton Calder was just here. That, that's all I learned. Well, what was the restaurant? He might let's see what kind of taste does he have. It was uh, Apropos in Harbor East. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
he has good taste. Um, so that that top five goes: Adley Rutzman, number one; Grayson Rodriguez, number two; DL Hall, number three; Gunnar Henderson, four; Colton Cowser, five. And it should be noted before we move on that all three of us had that exact same top five. There were no splits there. So um, that's your very solid group there. We'll move on now to number six and seven, two 2020 draft picks. At number six is Jordan Westberg, who has put up very good numbers between Delmarva and Aberdeen this year. And number seven is Heston Kerstad, who, as Nick mentioned, we're uh, rooting for him to get back to health, but battling back now from myocarditis, has not played this year. Doesn't look like he's going to play at all during the 2021 regular season. Uh, so we'll have to hopefully learn more about his future here somewhere down the line. But while we did put Kerstad below Westberg, I think that says more about Westberg than anything because his year that he has put up between Delmarva and Aberdeen has been so good playing shortstop and third base. He's hit for average. We've seen that raw power that was talked about so much in the 2020 draft class come around a little bit. So certainly a good year for Westberg. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I was going to say, I, I think Kerstad is definitely not a knock on him as a player. It's all health, and it is all about Westberg developing this year and what we've seen. I think he's just, you know, a professional hitter. Like, that's the term is, that comes to my mind. The guy hits. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about can he do this? Well, he can do this, but we haven't seen it yet. Uh, the power, everybody mentioned, well, the power's there. He's got six home runs. He has, I think, 11 doubles just in Aberdeen, uh, and a lot of those have been opposite field, off the wall. So the power is there. I don't really care what position he plays defensively. He's played fine third base. He's done shortstop. If he, if he has to move over to second base eventually, then you're probably looking at a second baseman who can hit 20 home runs for you at the major league level. So I think Westberg and Fangraphs had a fantastic interview with him just about going into his mind as a hitter. This guy is smart. He's extremely smart. Uh, he's a great hitter. He's a patient hitter. And he's a lot of fun to watch. And I don't think he's he's another guy who I don't think is going to be in the minor leagues for very long. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually had Kerstad one over Westberg, but it was very close for me. The only reason I kept Kerstad at six was because I don't want to ding him too much on the health stuff. I've seen a lot of people say his career's over. He'll never play a major league game. And it's like, let's just get, get more concrete information, see how he recovers from this, and we'll take it from there. So I didn't want to dock him too much. Still think he's a good prospect. But Westberg, man, he is just a pure hitter through and through. And he's no slouch in the field either at their base. He's got a great arm. But uh, he's got a great walk rate. He just hits for a high average. He hits the ball hard all over the field. Yeah, I think he's going to be up by 2023 and making a real contribution. Well, and he's also got 12 steals this year. And we talked about kind of what is our ideal for Jordan Westberg. And it's basically 2020 player in his prime. And you're seeing signs that that's a real possibility um, because he's got good, you know, solid stolen base numbers this year. As Nick said, he's got six homers and he's hitting a lot of doubles. Um, and you have to think as he moves up, there's potential for some of those doubles to become home runs. Um, so Westberg, I think that if you're whatever your expectations were for him coming into the year, I'd have to think that they, he's probably met, if not exceeded them. And I also wonder because I think he was mentioned by Baseball America as someone that received a vote or was considered for their top 100 list before the year began. If he's somebody that sneaks into some top 100 prospect list, either mid-season or after the season. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how many of these first-round draft picks get moved into the top 100. I don't think it's going to be very 
many. You know, Eric Longenhagen said Hauser's a slam dunk top 100 prospect. That was, I think, a direct quote uh, from a show he was on. Uh, so you're, I don't know how many exactly you're going to be looking at that make crack the top 100, but Westberg finishes strong. He's definitely probably by next year uh, a top 100 guy or a guy just outside the top 100. And that's he's what number was he number six, seven on our list? I mean, so that's, six, that's huge. Six. It's at least six guys right there in the top 100, and a guy in Kerstad who is probably not going to be far off either, even though I'm sure he will probably drop as well. So uh, rounding out the top 10, we have two right-handed pitchers in Kyle Bradis and Michael Ballman. Bradis comes in eighth and Ballman ninth. And then at number 10 is Taryn Vavra, who is currently on the IL at Bowie with a back issue, but expected back, I believe, sometime next month. Uh, he was one of the three players the Orioles acquired last year from Michael Givens. Um We'll start, I guess, with Braddis because he had the biggest jump of anyone from January to July. When we did our list in January, he ranked 20th. Now he ranks 8th. And, you know, I feel like we're kind of seeing a lot of discussion on the message board over at Baltimore Sports and Life and on Twitter about, you know, Braddis this year. And while I know that he is walking hitters more at AAA, this year has just been as good as you could have expected because he was so dominant at Bowie right out of the gate. And I know that Nick has made this point repeatedly on Aaron over at the message board. You're looking at someone who didn't have a lot of professional experience coming into this year, uh, putting together a season he has where started off in double A as a guy that you know, you heard had some talent, but you weren't quite sure if he was going to put it all together to now being a realistic possibility to, probably get starts in the major leagues late this year. Yeah, I don't I see when I see Bradish, there is a lot more conversation lately because I think more people are maybe starting to tune into the minor leagues that weren't uh, at the very beginning. They were like, I'm still an Orioles fan and I'm watching the major league product. And now even the true diehards are kind of dying off a little bit and they're finding their way. I think this past weekend as well was a free weekend on MILB TV. So maybe a lot more people checking it out. Uh, and the Norfolk series in Memphis this past week was a train wreck for everybody um i have new thoughts about dean kramer that i don't want to talk about in the show because we're talking about our top 50 but um bradish yeah the, the walks have been up he usually has a, an inning or two that can be brutal in his starts but he's usually pretty good about minimizing that damage and the curveball is just he makes guys look silly it takes huge hacks huge whiffs on the curveball when it's on um he's a powerful pitcher the walks are always going to be there I And like Zach mentioned, I've said it plenty of times, he debuted in high A, didn't get that many innings there, had 2020 off because of the pandemic, and now he's in double A, only makes three starts before he moved up to triple A. So the Orioles are really aggressive with him, and it's just going to take time for him to settle in. I, if he ends up spending the rest of the year in triple A, I'm fine with that as well. Um, he's being challenged, and he's got to work through those challenges right now. But all the stuff is there for him to, to make this climb. Yeah, of course he has, like, Tremendously bad start on uh, this weekend coming into this list with uh, four walks, four wild pitches. Can't get past the second inning, but I'm still a big believer in Bradish. Uh, we heard Matt Blood talk about it. We should have been listening to him from, I guess, almost a year ago now. We should have had him higher, but it is what it is. Um, I think he could be a pretty solid middle-of-the-rotation starting pitcher behind the likes of John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. At the very least, I think he's going to be an extremely effective, high-leverage reliever late in games because his over-the-top delivery with his high spin mid-90s fastball combined with that hammer of a curveball is just it's hard to hit it's just a matter of him commanding it and that's what he's adjusting to right now and I think it should be noted that he's faced a lot of veteran tough lineups uh, I think 
six out of the eight starts he has are against Durham and uh, Charlotte. And then obviously Memphis, <laughs> they must have a good offense because they killed Norfolk all week long. So, yeah, keep that in mind as well. His XFIP is a lot lower than his ERA right now. Not too worried. Still like him. Hopefully we see him around September this year. You know, if you're listening to this discussion, you know, you're probably thinking that we undervalued Braddis before the year and you would be right. But we also were kind of towards the middle in a lot of those preseason rankings because Fangraphs had him below, had him at 31. And I believe MLB Pipeline had him in the 10 to 15 range somewhere. So we were kind of in the middle. There seemed to be a real gap coming into this year on how to evaluate Braddis because we only had one year at the California League where he showed good velocity but had kind of higher walk numbers and ERA in the fours. Um, maybe the sum just didn't stand out that much. But he's certainly having a good year. I do want to go to this, though, with Michael Ballman. Nick had Ballman ahead of Kyle Braddis on his personal rankings. And Ballman's been a guy that's bouncing, trying to recover from injury, really putting it together at Bowie lately, but looked a little rough uh, early on there. So, Nick, I just want to kind of get uh, your insight there on Bauman. Uh, I know for me personally, it was a real coin toss with Braddis and Bauman. Um, I went with Braddis just because of the question mark with Bauman of when he gets his AAA which admittedly isn't a big one. It's splitting hairs, but curious to get your thoughts there. Yeah, that was another tough one. And going back to Bradish real quick, though, the thing that I'm comforted by is that, you know, Eric Longenhagen over at Fangraphs doesn't seem like he's very high on Bradish. Or like is, but comparatively speaking, uh, others are a lot higher on him than he is. He's kind of more reserved when it comes to evaluating Bradish. Yet he gave Bradish a little bit of a bump, I think, earlier this year. So that's that's comforting a little bit. But I had Bauman ahead just because what you know, his first few starts at Bowie were kind of rough. The velocity was all over the place, had me scared. But his last few starts, I've mentioned before that I think he looks a lot more like 2019 version of Michael Bauman. And he's just he's a big guy. He's 6'4, 6'5, like 220, 230 pounds. This is a mammoth of a man. Big Mike nickname like fits him perfectly. Uh, as long as he feels comfortable out there in the mounting game, which it looks like he is, I think this could be a really dominant arm for the Orioles. Um, and even if, you know, I think it was John Mioli when he put together the Baseball America, you know, what's this lineup going to look like in five years? He had Bauman as a closer for the Orioles. If that's the case, he also gave Bauman the highest rated slider in the organization. If that's the case, then that's also a really good piece to have as well. So I just, I, I really like Bauman and I don't want to give up on him just because of that injury. So I, I kept him above Bradish just a little bit. And for me, like the, the experience also does it for me just a little bit more. Yeah, Bauman, he has looked really good his last three times out. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes his major league debut by the end of the season as well. Uh, I don't even know if he's going to get to pitch in AAA Norfolk. They might just keep him at Bowie and then bring him up when they're comfortable, even though Elias tends to not do that. But if he's on his game and he's healthy and comfortable again, then he is right up there with Braddish. It was a close call with me as well between those two. I think maybe one of them will stick as a mid-rotation starter and the other one might have to go to the bullpen, but it doesn't matter which one because you're going to get good value either way. Still a big fan of Big Mike, for sure. So before we move into the next part of the list, I do want to quickly want to quickly discuss Taron Vavra, uh, who, as I mentioned earlier, out right now is a back issue. I believe he's expected back next month, though. Uh, so hopefully we see him soon. Pretty much, I think, what he showed at Bowie was what we expected. Good plate approach, draws a lot of walks. 
Um, not a lot of home run power, but good gap power. Handles the position second base pretty well. Uh, I kind of feel like that if he had stayed healthy, he would certainly be in the mix to go to AAA at some point, especially you know if we see Demai Jones, we're going to talk about in a little bit here in the majors uh, before too long. But I just uh, wanted to give you guys a chance to talk about your general impressions of Avra. I'm still a big fan. I think he came out of the season just like a house on fire, just lighting it up, slashing the ball over the field, hitting it for power, hitting it in the gaps. And and then he kind of dropped off significantly for a while there before he went on IL. I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that back injury was lingering a while before he finally landed himself on the injured list and he was trying to play through it and then just couldn't anymore because – it, he just fell off so hard there, and I, I'm still very confident that he's going to be like a around a 300 hitter at the major league level. It's just going to be a matter of can he stick at second base defensively to have a full-time gig and if he has enough power to really cement himself there. But I expect him to be a big part of the middle infield for the Orioles in the next few years. I kind of view him in that Javai Jones role. We'll probably talk about more in a moment, That, but Taron Vavra has a higher floor. He's kind of a safer guy. It's the safer bet, I think. But Vavra being a left-handed hitter, who can kind of spray the ball all over the field. He can play defense all over the field, second, short. They had him out in center field, I believe, in Bowie for a few games. I think this is a guy who can have a 15-year major league career and stick around for a real long time. And, you know, you're Ryan Flaherty type, except with these Vavra's probably a little bit of a better hitter than Ryan Flaherty is, uh, hopefully. But um, that kind of player that just sticks around on teams for years and years and years, I think that could be Taron Vavra for sure. But, yeah, that back injury was definitely more serious think than they maybe originally said it was um and hopefully he gets back because we only have like six or seven weeks left in the minor league regular season time's running out for a lot of these guys so we'll move on now to the uh teams and we're going to get into some really interesting players here number 11 on our list is connor norby who the orioles recently chose out of east carolina university second baseman he has indeed come to terms with the orioles so he's officially a member of the organization Number 12, Kobe Mayo, the young third baseman drafted out of high school by the Orioles last year, who is off to a very good start in the Florida Complex League. Number 13, Yusniel Diaz, who was in our top 10 before the year, but drops quite a bit uh, in the middle of a season where he's battled injuries, but has also been really up and down at the plate uh, when he has been healthy. Number 14, Jemai Jones, uh, who came over in the Alex Cobb trade with the Angels, before the season, has hit really well at Norfolk. And number 15, left-hander Kevin Smith, acquired from the Mets last year in the Miguel Castro trade, came out of the gate really strong at Bowie and is now pitching at Norfolk um, and kind of fits that mold with Braddis as somebody that we could see in the major leagues later this year. So I'll just start with Bob here. Uh, thoughts on that group? Yeah, I think this is like a bunch of guys who could – have an argument for being top 10, like nine or 10 at the end here. I mean, Connor Norby, I had him at nine on my personal list. I think he's just a refined college bat. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but I think out of the second base prospects between Taron Vavra, Jemai Jones, and Connor Norby, I feel like he has the highest ceiling of them. If he hits, he's got a great hit tool. He's got a little bit of power, more well-rounded all over the place. I think maybe the best glove of the three. So, I just feel like he's just a really solid second base prospect just above the other two there. Uh, Kobe Mayo, we know 
he's got tremendous power and a great arm, but he's performing pretty well. I mean, he's his batting average is hovered around 300 in the FCL. Hasn't really got that power into games yet, but I'm sure it's coming. He's still like super young. So big fan of him and can't wait to see him go into full season ball next year. Yusniel Diaz, I mean, the guy just can't stay healthy. That's all it is. I mean, he just he can't. There's nothing he could do about it. If he can get healthy, stay healthy. The guy hits the ball hard. He's got a great arm. He can be a role player at the very least in the major league level. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Jemai Jones should be with the Orioles two months ago, if we're being fair. But I think I noted this. He was on my own fire list for down on the farm this week. I think this proves, and I saw um, Chris Resitar, forgive me if I'm pronouncing his last name wrong, say that on Twitter that this just proves that they really are confident in his ability as a prospect and are high on him because if he was just a so-so prospect, whatever, they've had a black hole at second base all year. He would have been up if that's the case. I think they really do have him working on specific things, and we will see him soon. Can't wait to see it. And Kevin Smith, <laughs> talking just like Kyle Bradish, what a – what a way to end uh, his this week coming into this episode. He couldn't even get out of the first inning with three walks and gave up a hit. So rough outing, but he's been great all year. And I think he, that was a really small strike zone that night. So that just has to be pointed out. Yeah. Give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Even Justin Galanti, former Bowie Bay Sox play by play guy with Adam Pohl there. Uh, he is now calling in for Memphis and he, he did make a comment. Uh, we'll be fair there. It said that that strike zone was a little small there. Um, but yeah, with this group, I'm still on the using the Diaz train, but like my bags are kind of packed. I'm just kind of sitting there staring at my jacket, kind of waiting to go. Do I get up and leave? Do I stay? I, I don't know. Um, it's got nothing to do with his talent, but it's just because he can't stay healthy. I legitimately think that he can be, as a regular major leaguer, a 10 to 15 home run guy who hits like 260, 280, 25 plus doubles, huge arm out there in the outfield, good defender, but I just think that window's closing and I'm afraid he's not going to be able to overcome those injuries. Um, I like Jemai Jones a lot more as a prospect now than I did at the beginning of the year. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up that point about what Chris had said. I didn't see that because I was going to make that same argument that, you know, I have this theory now that, and, and maybe I'm wrong that this whole, the defense isn't ready thing is legit because hey, if you watch games in Norfolk, the defense is, can be really shaky. Uh that is fair argument, but the reason for keeping him down is because maybe the Orioles do really like this guy a whole lot, and they think he can be a long-term starter at second base or somewhere in the field. Uh, and so you don't want to bring him up into this you know, dumpster fire that's the major league roster and for him to, to falter because his offensive production in AAA is career best. I mean, he's on fire down there in Norfolk. So he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with him in the near future. I don't think he's going to be down there for too much longer I think the Orioles have to start making moves at the major league level. Uh, they're probably not going to be trading guys, but maybe finally cutting the leash on some guys. And Jemai Jones finally gets that call. But this is a good group. There's a lot of question marks in this group, though, about kind of borderline guys. Can they be regulars or can they be role players? But definitely a whole lot of talent in this this wave of guys. I want to touch on Jemai Jones for a minute because the one thing we heard a lot about when he came over from the Angels was how raw he was and how much he had tinkered with his swing over the course of his career. And that had kind of led – to mixed results, but the reports were that he looked really good at the Angels alternate site last year. What I love about the season he's putting together is that he's hitting, you know, for average, he's got a little bit of power and he's got a walk rate that is hovering around 15%. He's not really striking out uh, any more than he normally does. You know, he's generally been a guy that's been between 20, 25% strikeout rate. That's about where he is this year. I do agree with both of you that I think the defense is a legitimate concern 
and the Orioles don't want to rush him and just have him falter at second base. And I know that he can play the outfield, and I know he's probably going to get time in the outfield when he gets to the major leagues because why wouldn't you take advantage of the versatility if you have it? But you also don't want him to really struggle at the position where you're probably going to play him the most, which is where you know, what the Orioles, I think, are thinking right now. And I'll say this, and this is something that I know we're going to have a lot of time to discuss in the offseason. When a player is being held back in AAA and it's not, there's not an easy answer to it, it's not always because of service time considerations. I think that's become a popular thing now is to say, well, that player is you know, being held back because the team wants to gain extra service time. I like Jemai Jones as a player a lot, but service time consideration comes into play with your elite prospects. It doesn't come into play beyond that in my mind. So a year from now, if service time rules are still the same, we're going to be having that conversation about Rutzman, Rodriguez, and Hall. And that's going to be it for 2022. There's no one else in that mix. Uh, this year, in my mind, there really hasn't been a player for the Orioles that's been in that area. I wouldn't put Jones there. I do think he's being held back because of the defense. and But that's not going to be much longer. That's a good point, and I agree with it. But one thing that could be happening that we just don't know is they might say, yeah, you're getting away with hitting the high and inside fastball against AAA competition, but we think major league hitters or our pitchers are going to exploit that. I mean, this is just an example, so they're having work on that. So we just don't know what they're working on, but it's clear that they see something that he needs to pass before they will bring him up. Yeah, there's, there's, I've seen a lot of talk this year, and I think I mentioned this before, that that jump from AAA to the majors is growing, and the talent gap is becoming wider. Guys in the major league level are getting better and better. Uh, and it's a lot more difficult for guys to make that jump. You saw a guy like Jared Kelenic in Seattle come up and just tanked those first few weeks where they had to send him back down. I think he's back up. Haven't checked what the Raiders are doing lately. but And that's one of the top prospects in all of baseball, a guy that I don't think a lot of people have many questions on. Uh, and so with Jam- with Jemiah Jones, if you're hitting so well, I, I don't want to become like a Michael Elias apologist here. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm just saying, if you have a guy like Jemiah Jones, if you do think he is as good as you, you think he is, then why – have him come up to the major leagues, uh, the defense falters, that gets in his head, and now he's messed up his swing, and now his swing that you worked hard to fix or tinker with is all messed up, and now you got to get all that back on track at the major league level, and the team is losing every single night. It's just not a lot going on right now. I think maybe if the Orioles were winning more games, maybe it'd be a different story, but for right now, he's going to come up. He's going to be up soon. It's okay, and I think he's a much better player than we originally thought. Completely agree, and I'm now going to get into this part of the list, the 16 through 20 prospects, which is another good group. And number 16 is outfielder Reed Trimble, who the Orioles just selected out of southern Mississippi. Uh, Trimble has not reached a deal with the Orioles at this point, but we are including players that were just drafted because most of the time these players do sign with teams. Uh, If for some reason Trimble or another player does not sign with the Orioles, We'll address that when it happens. But for now, we're proceeding with the idea that he will be a member of the Orioles uh, organization soon. So he comes in at number 16. Number 17, Kyle Stowers, an outfielder the Orioles took out of Stanford in 2019 that has put up good numbers at the plate between Aberdeen and Bowie this year. Number 18, the newly promoted Hudson Haskin, who just got the call from Delmarva to Aberdeen today, uh, 2020 draft pick, putting together a nice year. Number 19 is Zach Lothar, who has slipped from where he ranked in January, has been used kind of in inconsistent ways in that Norfolk to Baltimore shuffle, and that's something we're probably going to talk about in a minute here. 
And number 20 is Drew Rahm, who is putting together another impressive season in the minor leagues, this time at high A Aberdeen. Um, so looking through this group, I do want to start with uh, Stowers, who I think all three of us knew coming into this year could hit for power. There was no questions about that. But there were concerns about the strikeouts and the overall hit tool. While he has struck out a lot this year, that has not really held back his batting average, and he's walking a ton. So I just, I'll just i start with Nick here on Stowers. The impressions that you've seen that you've had of him this year. I mean, I've always been higher on Stowers, I feel like, uh, for the last couple of years. But his numbers in Aberdeen were okay. I mean, they were good, above league average hitter, 275 hitter, huge on-base numbers. But when he got promoted to Bowie, I was a little afraid, I'm going to be honest, just because that swing, When you, if you watch Bowie games, like that swing, even on Bowie's camera, you can tell that this swing, sorry, Bowie, you had to take a shot there. Um, but like you can tell this is a mammoth of a swing. Uh, I think as Eric Loggenhagen said, he looks like he's going to corkscrew himself into the ground with every swing. And that is accurate. He literally does sometimes. Um, you do mention the strikeout rate. It's massive, like over 30%. But the walk rate, he's walking about 15% of the time uh, between both levels. So I'll take the strikeouts if he's going to walk that much and hit moonshots. Uh, I think he's he's up there in the organizational lead for home runs, uh, like 12 or 13 so far. So I'm excited. Since he's been promoted to double A, he's been hitting way better than he is in Aberdeen. So something in that buoy water is is working. It's not just... Justin Ramsey's magic touch with the pitchers. Like, this is the hitters as well. Um, it's it's really great to see this because I was as, – as high as I was on him, I was a little afraid that he was going to kind of flame out in high A because that swing and this stuff. But so far, so good with Kyle Stowers. Yeah, coming into this year, I had Stowers in my, like, 30 to 40 range. I was like, I don't know. Uh, in 2019, he struck out a ton. He didn't really walk that much. Like I was like, I don't know. I think we kind of reached on the draft in this guy, but he's completely turned me around. I have him ranked 20th overall on my personal list, and it's with a bullet going up. He's got a thousand plus OPS with double A. He's just hitting bombs everywhere. He's a fun player to watch. He's I like am ready to move him like into top fifteen, top ten range if he keeps this up the rest of this year and and into next year. I mean, this kid is exciting. He strikes out a lot, but I think fans are going to like him. I think they're going to like just the way he looks out there, his style. He, he's he's going to be a fun player, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, he really moved up my list as well because I think that while he is striking out, you know, you're seeing him hit above average. He's walking. He's hitting for power. And I do think that this is an interesting test for the Orioles theory behind hitters or sort of this overriding theme that we see of them drafting high strikeout guys in the draft who can draw walks and hit the ball hard, hit for power. Because if you can take a player like Stowers, who I think we know is always going to be a high strikeout guy who has that really high effort swing that Nick just talked about, and you can get this kind of production out of him, you're doing something right. I think there's another guy we're going to talk about later, too, that I think is the perfect case study for what the Orioles are doing. Another outfielder with power that wasn't Bowie. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is some guy to pay very close attention to when you go to when you go to Bowie to watch Adley Rutschman and Grace Rodriguez. I get it. Of course, that's what you want to go to watch. But watch Kyle Sowers very closely as well. You won't be disappointed. So we're going to I'm going to focus on Zach Lothar for a minute because. Nick noted in his report that Lothar has kind of been on this Baltimore and Norfolk shuffle all year. We've seen Lothar pitch 
out of the major league bullpen. He's had one or two decent outings, then a couple that have been really bad. Um, and then it's a triple A rotation. It's been really up and down, uh, especially considering that coming into this year, I think you would have said Lothar was maybe one of the more consistent starters in the minor leagues, even though in 2019 we saw the walks tick up a little bit and the strikeouts go down. The sense was still the deceptive delivery. Uh, the fact that he can work, handle a high workload was going to help carry him a little bit. But this year it feels like he struggled. I just want to get your thoughts on this, Nick. Do you think that some of that is because his stuff struggles at AAA more than it has at the lower levels? Or do you think that maybe he has just not been able to get settled into a steady routine this year like he's been able to in the past? I mean, I think it's the routine. It plays a lot into this. I've noted before that at every level he's gone up, the walks have increased, the strikeouts have decreased, and there's a lot of questions about is he going to be able to kind of, you know, upset more advanced hitters is he going to be able to get that swing and miss with them and so far he's not and i mean i don't know about we talked to i feel like earlier in the year before the minor league season started and when we were still focusing a lot on the major league guys you saw guys like austin hayes and it felt like all these guys with this new new dad strength we were talking about with these hitters who were just having kids uh but the pitchers you know sean armstrong had kids and his career derailed uh, it seemed like he came and pitched triple a zach lowther just had a baby as well and so it's like for the hitters, this is a boost. For the pitchers, it's been like this downfall for them. I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, you've got this family life outside of baseball. You're moving from Norfolk to Baltimore. You can't settle in. I think he was already a fringe guy. So I think that does play a lot into it. Personally, I just wanted the, the Orioles to put him in the bullpen now, keep him in Norfolk, and say, you're going to go pitch every two, three days. Let's see what you got out of there. Because I do think he can still get – I think you can still get a little bit out of him as a reliever. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think I, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. I think the deception is not going to work as well at the major league level as it has. But at the same time, he has been yanked around tremendously. It's just I think you can almost write it off as just a weird year that he could learn from going into next spring training. But I still think he could be like a Paul Fry-ish type of lefty reliever at some point. And maybe he can stick as like a swing man fringe fifth starter spot starter type of guy and uh, sim contribute on youtube is asking is lothar ahead of wells only because lothar has not been at mlb enough to get exposed and i don't think so for me personally at least i mean wells actually he's shown pretty well at the major league level in the little bit of time he has and i'm sure he will have his moments as he gets more opportunities but i just think lothar pure stuff and deception and track record in the minor leagues is a little bit better than wells but they're not far off yeah, I completely agree, Bob. I, I don't think that they're far off at all. And if you want to make the argument that their performances this year should propel Wells um, ahead of Lothar, I think is a valid one. But the pure stuff is better with Lothar. Uh, and I think overall the track record coming into this year was you know, pretty clear that Lothar was, had been at least looks like the higher ceiling pitcher than Wells did. And although Lothar has struggled more than Wells had this year, I don't know that that has been enough to change my mind that Lothar is still kind of a higher ceiling guy of those two. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's still a little bit there with him. I'm not ready to get shut the door completely on Zach Lothar. So him and Isaac Matson are two guys who I think just need regular routine in Norfolk, and they're not getting that. So hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, and I'll add that I'm actually higher on Alex Wells now than I was six months ago. Um so that, that tells you something, but it's still for me that 
I want to see Lothar get a fixed routine. And I wouldn't be opposed to what Nick just said. Put him in the bullpen. Let make him a multi-inning guy. And because you know that sometime here in the next couple of weeks, the Orioles might be moving one of their left-handed relievers, Tanner Scott or Paul Fry. And not that you're going to throw Lothar right into that situation. But if you could start kind of grooming him that a year or so down the line, maybe even by opening day next year, he can move in and take over a Paul Fry-type role, I would consider that a win for the Orioles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at Tyler Wells, what they've been able to do with him. You're going to tell me that if Zach Lothar's sitting in the bullpen with Darren Holmes and Chris Holt every day working on things, that he's not going to improve in that role? I think he would. So at number 20 is a player that uh, I'm going to take a minute here to talk about, and that's Drew Rom. I actually had Rom a good bit higher than Nick and Bob did. I had Rom 16th on my personal list. And I will say that with the caveat that Rom's velocity really has not been going up based off of what we know this year, the way that many have hoped. But what I like about Rom is that he's generally been younger than his competition at every level he's pitched in. And this year, that's holding, holding true again this year. The strikeouts are down a little bit, but the walks have been cut back, and he's generating more ground balls. He's an athletic guy who can handle a high workload. I just really like the, you know, pitchability is kind of a cliche term, and I don't want to use it a lot. But there is a certain element of that to Rom where it's just like he does a little bit of everything right. And I feel like there is the possibility of really – him being able to develop into a rotation starter or into a starter without the velocity. And O's Fan Therapy asked, what's his ROMs for velocity-wise? Based off of what we've heard, I know Eric Longenhagen addressed this in a chat recently. Um, it sounds like ROM has always been where he's, you know, is where he's always been, which is generally upper 80s, low 90s with the fastball. Um, there has been some hope, I think, that he'd get more towards the low to mid-90s consistently. That hasn't happened, but he's still getting results despite that. I still he's, think he's going to be able to increase that just a, a, a smidge or two. I think he might be more consistently known, low 90s than he is now in a couple of years. But, yeah, Ram is just – he just performs. Like, the results are there. The stats are there constantly. He just doesn't falter. So you got to reward him for it at some point. He's 7-0. and That means he's a really good pitcher, so I'm just saying. Uh, he is the arguably the top pitching prospect. Grayson Rodriguez is not undefeated. Drew Rahm is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it is the age. The numbers are great. He's got a sub-3 ERA. I don't think the FIP and XFIP are much higher. They, they, they're definitely like 3.5 or so, which is still respectable. You, the strikeouts going down does worry me a little bit because I don't think he's going to be a big swing and miss guy at the, the next level, but – when the walk rate decreases as well, it's like around 6%. That does impress me. And you mentioned the age. He's two and a half years younger. According to baseball reference, he's two and a half years younger than other guys in high A right now. So he's only 21 years old. It, plenty of time with him. I, I do like him. I, the velocity is not going to increase. That was a big talking point before the season started. I think it is what it is. Um, he just And he also works so methodically on the mound. Like it's it's kind of hard to watch him sometimes, to be honest, because in between each pitch, like if I watch him in Aberdeen, I'm watching like maybe the next morning or later that night so I can like click fast forward because he's got, I don't know if there's a pitch clock in high A, but if there is, the umpires are completely ignoring it because he takes forever, but it works. So whatever he's doing, it's working for him. He's left-handed Steve Traxel. <laughs> Basically. Now we're going to move on to the 21 uh, to 25 range here. Number 21, Michael Hernandez, the shortstop the Orioles signed in international free agency. 
before the year for a $1.2 million bonus. Uh, currently down at Dominican Summer League as a 17-year-old and drawing a lot of attention. Number 22, Alexander Wells, who we just talked about a minute ago, putting together a nice year at Norfolk and recently made his Major League debut. At number 23 is John Rhodes, the Orioles just drafted out of the University of Kentucky. Like Reed Trimble, he has not signed a deal yet, but we're uh, planning on him joining the Orioles system soon, so we have him there. Number 24, Joey Ortiz, the prospect whose stock arguably went up more than anyone's this year before he went on the uh, IL was a season-ending shoulder injury as he put up very good offensive numbers between Aberdeen and Bowie. And at number 25, Anthony Servidio, uh, a pick in the 2020 draft who is doing what he has always done really well, which is drawing a lot of walks at Delmarva. I believe he's actually leading the minors in walks before he went on the IL with a hip injury. Uh, but Servidio comes in at 25 on our list. I'll start with uh, Bob here. Just general thoughts on that group. I know we've touched on Wells a little bit. So let's focus on Hernandez because this is someone who's years away from the major leagues. We can't really see him right now down in Dominican Summer League, but there's reason to believe that there's some special talent here. Yeah, the upside here is the play. I mean, he's a potential five-tool guy if things work well. I mean, this was like the big, the first big, like, oh, my God, the Orioles spent over a million, even though they actually gave Samuel Basalo, who we'll talk about in a little bit, $100,000 more. It just seems like Hernandez, that talented shortstop, kind of reminds you of Manny Machado when we drafted him at a high school, but he's just getting started in Dominican Summer League. He's had like a week or two. I think they've played five games, actually. And he hasn't done much of anything. He's got like a base hit and a walk or two, but he's just getting started. And it's just about learning right now for him and growing into his body and learning to use his strength and all his tools the right way, which I'm sure the Orioles will do a good job of doing. But it's just nice to have. I know I talked about last week about how the draft is to raise the floor of the system, which it has. And then guys like Basalo and Hernandez, Hernandez, excuse me, those are the guys that are raising your ceiling. Because if they hit on their potential, then they are potential superstars and really, really good players. This is a guy who in two years could fall off completely from this list or could be in the top five or top ten. It's it's fun to be adding guys. And I think there are more guys. There's more international guys on the back end of our top 50 and our top 30. I think there are a lot of guys that we probably wanted to include in our top 50, but we just don't know that much about these guys. So it's fun to look at this, these rosters down there and say, man, maybe we should be getting like a Ben Badler or somebody on our show to talk about these guys because two years ago, there'd be no point in having a guy like Ben Badler to talk about international prospects because they're not going to Baltimore. Uh, but Hernandez is definitely interesting for sure. I, I think this whole group, this group of five is interesting it, it really sucks that Ortiz is out for the year um and also that we didn't catch when Matt Blood said that on our podcast uh, before <laughs> yeah. the news actually broke but there we go um yeah Rhodes I think has the biggest questions I don't really know what to do with Rhodes but I, I really think the Orioles are probably buying really low on Rhodes we'll see if he signs but this is a good group and Sir Video I hope Sir Video comes back because I loved watching this kid play we'll see how high a ceiling is but this is just a really good I mean this we always talk about Mason McCoy Coming into this year, I, I see Servideo as that Mason McCoy, the player that we all were hoping Mason McCoy would become. I think Servideo can become that. Yeah, I think I, uh, Elias said he should be showing up in the FCL uh, this week. So hopefully yeah. that is true and we get him back as soon as possible. And I just got to mention Joey Ortiz. I had him all the way up at 19 on my personal list. Just between the raves of Matt Blood and just seeing him in person and hearing about he can hit the ball 110 mile an hour now. 
And if he can, I'm glad that his shoulder injuries on his left shoulder, not his throwing shoulder, because if he can play defense like that with the cannon that he has and hit the ball that hard and put up like a 750, 800 OPS at the major league level, I mean, that's a starting shortstop right there. So, uh, huge fan of Ortiz. He was not even on my list probably when we did it last time, and now he's all the way up into the 20s. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he was not really even in consideration for me when we did our top 30 back before the season started. He was someone I had thought about a little bit, but ultimately didn't even really include in like my 30 to 35 range. But the way he hit this year before getting hurt was impressive. We had Matt Blood on. He really talked about the uh, gains that he made. It really makes you believe that it is sustainable. I want to see how he looks when he comes back from that injury, but he's hitting the ball a lot harder. His plate approach overall was had actually been good to begin with. He'd always been a patient hitter, but he's hitting the ball harder now. And it really paid off this year for him. So we'll move up now to the 26 to 30 range. The number 26 right-handed pitcher Garrett Stallings, who the Orioles acquired in a deal before this season for Jose Iglesias. Uh, he's been in Aberdeen all year. Number 27, Samuel Basayo, a catcher signed in international free agency, who Bob mentioned a few minutes ago. Number 28, Tyler Nevin, who we actually saw briefly in the major leagues this year and has been putting up pretty good numbers at Norfolk an outfielder and corner infielder. Number 29, Carter Baumler, who was drafted in the 2020 draft by the Orioles, currently out uh, with Tommy John surgery, but is expected to be back in the mound next year and could really move up the boards if he gets healthy. And at number 30, Adam Hall, who we had in the teens before this season started, he manages to stay inside the top 30, but drops quite a bit um, amid some struggles at Aberdeen. So I'll just actually start with Hall, and we'll get into this a little bit. There are signs lately that he's turning around. He is hitting a little bit better. But Nick notes this in his report that you'll see on the site tomorrow. He's striking out more than usual, not really hitting the ball harder. He's actually been hitting the ball on the ground a lot this year. While there are some concerns there, we ultimately keep Hall in our top 30. So I'll start with Nick here. He struggled, but do you think that there's still reason to believe that you know, his profile as a prospect is makes him intriguing. A little bit. And I was always really high on Hall. I feel like I've been on a few other podcasts over the last two years and always mention Hall's name and try to hype him up. Uh, and he's making me look bad, um, which go figure. Um, but yeah, the base hits lately, as soon as I, I, remember, I tweeted something out about his numbers, like, yes, they're looking okay, but let's dig deeper and see these uh, – 60-something percent ground ball rate was one of the highest in all of minor league baseball. I haven't looked in the last week or so, but I think it was like number two or number three highest in the majors. And we know he doesn't hit the ball extremely hard. He's never cracked a 100 OPS in his career during a single season. But stolen base-wise, I mean, the guy has 24 stolen bases already. He's an extreme speed threat. Speed is elite. Um, He is still very young as well. He's only 22. He comes from Canada. So and I think the story before that was he was like in Bermuda and then went to Canada, and so he hasn't really faced a whole lot of intense competition in his amateur career. So I'm not going to close the door yet, but he is a guy who I just – I don't know. He's hitting – he's on fire recently, but it's a lot of singles, which he has turned into you know, doubles with the stolen bases and such, but I, I don't know if he's going to be able to – if that's going to translate when he gets up to like a double-A level. Yeah. Keith Law was always high on him. He must be having trouble sleeping at night too, but <laughs> – yeah, it's super disappointing because this Hall is a guy who, when I wrote my preseason roster prediction in December, I thought he was going to start at Double A, 
And here he is. He starts at single A and can't hit his way out of a paper bag. He has been hitting much better lately, but it's not like he's really hitting with much authority. He's not walking as much as I feel like he did the last time he was performing with Delmarva in 2019. He's obviously pre- pretty young still and super fast. So I'm not giving up on him, but it's definitely one of the few guys actually in the system who has taken a big hit like this. We'll uh, move back a little bit. Number 26, Garrett Stallings. This is a guy that um, we've talked about a lot coming into this year after he was brought over from uh, the Angels. The book on him since his collegiate career has been that he does not walk anyone, doesn't throw that hard. He's a right-hander and generally rides in the low 90s, but doesn't walk anyone, generates a lot of ground balls. He has done that extremely well at Aberdeen this year, but he's also given up uh, quite a few home runs, and that has helped inflate some of his numbers a little bit. Um, So, Bob, I know you've written a lot about Stallings this year. What has your impression been of him, and are you alarmed by the home run rate, or do you think it's something that we maybe see drop a little bit as the year goes on? I'm actually, I think he might be the most underrated player in the system because just if you look at his pure stats and numbers, it doesn't look great, but he consistently goes deep into games, has low pitch counts. The only issue is the home runs, and obviously that can be an issue that can carry long-term, but it just feels like it's so extreme that it has to be at least partially luck-based. So I think maybe this time next year he could be a pretty big riser if he can get that under control a bit because he throws strikes, maybe too many strikes, but he he's... You know, he goes out there and he performs every time. It's a shame that his last start got cut short to two innings based on a rain delay. Gave up a monster home run, to, of course, to a, I, I can't remember who it was, Brett Beatty, someone, some big prospect with real power. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I am pretty high on Stallings overall, even though he does land here and towards the back end of the top 30. Yeah, I think for me, it's just see how it plays out. I mean, he didn't pitch in 2019, I think, when he was drafted because the Angels shut their guys down, and then 2020 happened. So this is his pro debut, and it's in high A. And I think Matt Blood referenced this, that you know the high A competition, I think they feel like is a lot better than what they were expecting. Uh, so at least the pitchers that they, the Orioles lineups are facing, so uh, maybe that's true as well for you know these lineups as well. So. With Stallings, I think it's it's good. 60% ground ball rate, but like you mentioned, the home runs, 12 and 61 inning, innings pitch. I don't know what to make of that. Um, I, I think that's that could be, though, when, when everything else looks pretty decent across the board to good across the board, and it's just the home run issue, I feel like there's a fix there. I'm not a pitching coach or scout to try to diagnose that, but I feel like there could be a fix there with Stallings. So I'm just fine with just letting him ride and – Maybe if you need to bring him up at the end of the year to double A so he can work with Justin Ramsey there, <laughs> he can figure it out. He can, he can figure that out. But yeah, yeah definitely he's intriguing for sure. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's Stallings, you know, they will, hopefully we'll see the home run numbers drop a little bit um, over the final weeks of the season. But there's a lot else there in that stat line like, and we know from scouting reports and from what he did at Tennessee that that's the type of pitcher he is. So I do want to talk about Pasayo for a minute because – We've talked about him right after he signed. He made our top 30 list that we did in January. He stays in the top 30. Again, as with Hernandez, this is someone who is years away. But there is reason to be excited because Ketcher, who has a lot of power from the left side of the plate, um, obviously with someone who's this young, and Basayo is a big guy. He's listed at 6'3", 180 already. Um, There's going to be questions about whether he's six behind the plate. Well, we've got a lot of time to figure that out. 
I'm really curious to see what the numbers look like at the end of the year in the Dominican Summer League. But based off of every report that we have read, all the video we have watched, there's reason to believe that power potential is real. Absolutely. This could be the first guy to hit the warehouse on the fly. I mean, it's going to be either him or Creed Williams, one of these young catchers they hit from the left for sure. No. Uh, DSL-wise, so far, again, it's only been five games, but I think he's got a few hits. He's got a double. He's got some walks. So it's always tough to read into the numbers in the DSL, but you just want to see him hold their own and maybe have close to the same number as walks as strikeouts. And he's doing that so far in very short sample sizes. Yeah. And I will say a lot of these younger guys, because I think he's still only 16, uh, but such, he's a teenager. And a lot of these guys are, uh, especially the DSL guys, if you want to see video of them, they are not shy about putting their videos up on their Instagram pages. So if you find them on Instagram, you can get some videos of these guys. And Basalo posted one the other day. He's He looks like a fun kid out there in the batter's box. So I'm going to take a chance on a 16-year-old who's already 6'3", 180 pounds. And that might be a little generous as far as weight and height goes. So. Getting exciting to have these young international guys in the system, finally. So that concludes the top 30, but we're now going to get into the players that rank over the final 20 spots on our top 50 list. And what we're going to do is we're not going to run down every name like we just did with the top 30. Uh, you can check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com when the article goes up to see our full list with reports. But we, are, we each picked a player that we wanted to talk about, whether it's been their struggles this year or their success, or why we think that there are guys that really could rise. And I'll start off with Nick and his first player, the first player on his list, because this is someone that's in the news today for uh, getting promoted. Yeah, the uh, the news that we broke at uh, BSL yep. on the Verge uh, broke the uh, Hudson Haskin, Ignacio Feliz, Zach Peak, and Ryan Watson promotion news uh, that no one credited us with. That's fine. Um Yes, yeah, Zach Peak is – I have him on my list here just outside the top 30. Like Zach mentioned, you can see his ranking on the website starting Tuesday morning. But I think his ranking, while a little lower right now, is he's on the up and up. I think he's one of the more underrated pitchers in the system. The swing and miss stuff is nasty. The breaking balls are nasty. It's all about just repeating his delivery and staying consistent. That's the biggest knock I've seen on him elsewhere uh, as well. Uh, and you can tell with him, again, I'm not a scout. I'm not going to, can't sit there and break these guys down, but you can tell with peak when he, when he's a little off kilter, uh, on the mound, but he does a really good job. Like Bradish typically, uh, peaks a little bit better at this right now in at the low A level, at least of minimizing the damage when he gets into trouble. Uh, he's really done a good job of that this season. So a well-earned promotion for him. I think he's going to be a huge riser in the system. The data is there. He put in a lot of work this off season on his secondary pitches and it's showing this is a good this is a good pickup. I mean, this if you really want to sit here and I think most people probably say he's the fourth guy in that Dylan Bundy return. Uh, and that's a pretty good fourth guy to get for Dylan Bundy, who is in the bullpen now and can't get anybody up. Yeah, real quick, actually, we have to mention number 31 on our list, Kyle Bernovich, Bronovich. I, I'm shocked that you guys had him so low. I had him all the way up to 21 on my list and. And he doesn't even make the top 30. This is a guy who completely dominated uh, A-plus Aberdeen and his uh, three ERA around there and doing pretty darn good at double-A as well. I know he might not have as much of a shot at sticking as a starter, but I think bare minimum he's going to be a back-end reliever as long as he can continue to do what he's doing. Explain yourselves, please. Um, Ronovitz got close for me. I, I really looked at him and carefully considered him. Um, I love the stuff. It's just a, a righty with 
you know, fastball is generally riding in the low 90s. I'm not sure where that's going to stick. I don't know if he's a starter or a reliever. But the two things I will say about him, um, first of all, he's really durable. And he doesn't uh, throw a lot of strikes. And that knuckle curveball is something to watch. That really is an impressive pitch. And if we want to focus on who has some of the best off-speed stuff in the system and focus on individual pitches, uh, you can't have that conversation without bringing up Franovitz's knuckle curve. I just don't know how how he's going to look at the higher levels. But so far, so good at double-A. And honestly, he was close enough to the top 30 for me that if he finishes strong, he might be in my top 30 um, before too long. It was a close call for me. But there was just a couple of players um, in the lower levels of the system that I thought had higher ceilings and where I just overall liked the profile better. I'll put him at 30. We can dump Adam Hall at 31 if we were yeah, to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Peek was a guy there for me. And I think two other guys that I wanted to highlight that we had between 31 and 50. One was another guy who was promoted, Ignacio Feliz. Uh, only 21 years old. This is third different team. Just became a pitcher. I think a lot of the reports I saw when the Orioles took him in the third round of the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft this year was that it was like 91, 92 mile an hour fastball. He's throwing a lot of 96s. There's a lot of that in these broadcasts when I'm watching him. Uh, curveball is really good. So I think this is a great find. We'll see how high he can go, but this is a great, great find for Michael Elias and the staff. And then Ofelki Peralta, another guy who's coming off a pretty bad outing right before our list drops, but he's throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. And I mentioned before, I just think that when a new regime comes in and you see a guy who's been in a ball for four years and then 2020 happens. So that's what four or five years of him at one level. If I'm this new regime that comes in, he's one of the first guys at the top of my list that I'm looking at and saying, he's probably going to go. We can just cut him and get rid of him to make room for our guys in the system. But the Orioles didn't and they put him up at double a. So I think the Orioles really believe in his stuff. I think Peralta throwing 98, 99 miles an hour with his curveball. Blaine Knight throwing 96, 97, 98 miles an hour with his slider. I think those are two guys who are starting for Bowie right now, but could be um, major league relievers. I, I think that's how I envision them. Well, and everything you hear about Peralta is that he's really bought into the Orioles development process and what they were able to present to him. And keep in mind that this is really only Peralta's second year under the Michael Elias regime because we lost 2020. So I have to wonder if this is really the results of Peralta buying what the Orioles are selling coming into play because we've always known that he's had good stuff but he could not get past high A and it looks like his career was just going to falter there. And now all of a sudden he's interesting again and he's pitching really well. And I think that there is something to be said for what we're hearing, you know, that Peralta has bought into what the Orioles are teaching their pitchers. Absolutely. And I think Nick is completely right between him and Blaine Knight. These guys now, at least to me, are kind of locks to at least get a shot at the bullpen for the Orioles at some point in the next couple of years. I mean, they have great two-pitch mixes with maybe they can add a change-up as it seems like the Orioles are confident they can teach their guys. We'll see about that, but a uh, great call there. And Feliz, he's really shot up my my um, rankings of late, especially because I don't know how I didn't know this. I guess because he was a rule five minor league guy. I thought he was going to be like 23 or 24 years old. And then when I looked like a couple weeks ago and saw he's only 21, I was like, okay, that's much more interesting than I initially thought. So very excited about him while we're in promotion. I guess I'll go into my guys uh, that were in the top 50 that I thought were interesting to bring up. One was Daryl Hernais, who, you know, in 2019, he, him and Gunnar Henderson were those notable high school shortstops that 
Michael Elias drafted. And obviously we know what happened with Gunner. He just exploded into the, the stratosphere. But Hernandez, uh, we have him, what, is it um, 34 or something like that, 35? Um, he, I'm not giving up on him. I'm still pretty high on him. He's been hitting between like a 260 and 280 average with no power all season and not walking a ton, but he did walk a lot in the GCL in 2019. So I think that skill is there once he gets more comfortable. And if you just look at his build, there is so much room to grow with him as far as his strength and his power goes. And if they get him on a regimen like Joey Ortiz <laughs> did the past couple of years, then I think he could be in that same range as someone who takes off. So I'm, He's still only 19, doesn't turn 20 until August something. So I just don't want people to sleep too much on him or get too down on him just based off his pure numbers. And I also want to shout out Robert Newstrom, who just got promoted to AAA Norfolk. Um, this guy, I think, is the sleeper outfielder to watch in this system. I think he could get a shot in 2022 in left or right field, and he might pass Yusniel Diaz as far as like the – power hitting corner outfielder goes because we know he can hit the ball like 500 feet he's starting to walk more he's been hitting much better as of late uh got off to a kind of a, actually a weird start where he had a long hitting streak but it was like one hit a game and mostly singles and then pulled off tremendously and then has just been on fire lately so just someone to watch as it seems like he's getting comfortable in this system and doing great things and the last person i wanted to shout out and actually not on our top 50 but gene carmona <laughs> we kind of made it a running joke on here about where is he? Where is Gene Carmona? But it turns out we should have been wondering because he's coming to Delmarva and just doing great. He's hitting for average. He's walking. He hit two home runs and back-to-back at bats. So he's still just 21 years old. He can just as well get back on prospect radar. I've been really happy to see the way that Carmona has played in Delmarva because he seemed like a guy that had just been completely lost in the shuffle with the number of infielders the Orioles had added to their system, the fact that Carmona struggled after he came over uh, in that trade with Milwaukee a few years ago. But he's hitting really well. Um, based off of what we hear, it seems like he could fit at both sides of the bag at second base, second or short. Um, he's always had some interesting raw athleticism. He just had not put it together above the Pioneer League until this year. And now you're seeing it at Delmarva a little bit. So – after kind of dropping off my radar completely, uh, Carmona's really moved back onto that list for me. And I, I like her naive too. I really do. And um, he just missed my top 30. The fact that he's not walking this year, I don't really know what to make of that because I thought that was one of the things that was really going to be his strength, um, particularly as we waited for that power to come around. But fundamentally sound player, good defender, it's going to hit, you know, it's going to hit for average, I think. So, and has, as Bob said, a lot of room to grow and probably more power projection. I think Robert Newstrom, I hinted at this earlier. I think Robert Newstrom is kind of that perfect case study as to what the Orioles player development staff is capable of. Um, I, I think of like Cody Sedlock in 2019 when this whole process was just getting started and he just cracked our top 50 at the very, very back end. But he's, and he's had a pretty good season in Bowie as well. But, Newstrom is a guy who I'm not going to say he was a nobody because he wasn't. There was always potential there with him. I think he was like a senior signed draft pick. So a guy that you expect to perform well in the lower levels of the minor leagues. But I think he had a lot of injuries uh, early on in his career. And he's healthy this year. He's mashing baseballs, 450, 460, 470 feet with ease. Uh, even when Bowie had him down in the bottom of the order, the bottom third of the order, he's just cleaning up the bases. I mean, 
two guys are on base, he's going to bring them in with a single or a double. I think he, he led the team in RBIs for most of the season. Um, the defense is still a work in progress. You talk about going into our list uh, on a kind of a low note. Uh, even though Nushram was promoted, he dropped a very, very routine pop fly in Rodriguez's start. So Rodriguez's start on Sunday, he did give up one run as unearned, and that was because of Nushram's drop fly ball. But the defense is a work in progress. I know. Uh, maybe Grace Rodriguez has something to do with that. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is a guy who, and I've started to see a little bit more buzz about him among other Orioles fans, and I'm really happy to see that because I do think this is a guy who might be taking that spot of using Hill Diaz. This is a guy who you keep him on the bench. He's a left-handed hitter. Put him up against righties, which if you need a big hit, this is your guy you're going to bring off the bench. Um, and yeah, with Carmona, that's fun to see. You know, his first two home, he had two home runs and two at bats on Saturday or Sunday. Those were his first two home runs in over three calendar years. Uh, so good for him, excited for him. And Hernaiz, yeah, 19 years old. He's still, again, a teenager. He's a baby in the system. Uh, and he's still not playing bad at all. Uh, so it's it's there. We'll see what this staff can do with him for the rest of the season. So we just got a comment here from Eric Birdland, 2022. 20, uh, News has the best outfield arm in the system. Spent time in the MLB dugout during spring training, I believe. We always have heard good things about his arm. The overall defense hasn't always been great, but – Generally, since he's been in college, you've heard good things about the arm, and we've seen a lot of highlight real home runs for him this year, and it kind of leads you to believe that if you had an all-organization home run derby right now at Canham Yards, Neustrom would be one of the guys you'd want to bring in there just to see how far on Utah Street those home runs can land. <laughs> yeah, that. speaking of uh, hitting a warehouse on the fly, but shout-out to Eric. Uh, keep your DMs open. We might be reaching out to you before the season is over. Yes, exactly. Uh, keep an eye out, Eric. So I'll get into my group now of the guys that I wanted to uh, talk about. One of them is uh, Maverick Hanley, a catcher that's always been regarded as a strong defender. He put in work over the offseason. I think has gotten even better. Um, now, there, there are questions about the bat, but the way that he moves behind the plate is something to watch. Good footwork, quick release with the arm. And I don't know, when you watch him throw, I don't know how anyone ever steals off of him. Very few runners are actually stealing off of him this year. Um, and I know that we talk a lot about how the catcher position is probably going to evolve in the next few years. The automated ball strike zone comes into play and how that's going to affect defense. Hanley's a guy that, with or without that, is going to be a really good defender, uh, I think, at the high levels of the system because he's a good receiver. He has a good arm. So that's someone that, although he missed my top 30, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned and I'm going to cheat a little bit here because there was a guy that I thought I had on this list but didn't, um, and that was Elise Gonzalez, who I actually had in my top 30. Um, really raw prospect down at the Florida Complex League right now, but everything that you we read about him, video that I've seen of him, unquestionable raw power, big kid, good arm in the outfield, uh, years away from the major leagues because right now he is – just uh, 19. He's actually going to be 19 in November. So years away, but good raw power. I had him uh, at the very end of my top 30 uh, down towards like 28, 29. So someone I want to mention and Messiel Deson, the outfielder that came over in the Michael Givens trade is also at the Florida complex league. Now different profile than Gonzalez because they say uh, Deson is not a guy that you necessarily look at for big-time power. 
but he's got some, you know, a good hit tool, can run well. And even as he fills out and gets stronger, just because his instincts are so good and because his speed is so good, probably can uh, stick in center field. And then one other guy that I wanted to mention was Ryland Bannon, who we had in our top 30 before this year started. He slips a little bit. Uh, a quad injury that he had, I think, really limited him uh, because we've seen signs since he came back off the IL of the old Ryland Bannon. Uh, not a lot of power projection, but always a tough at bat, always going to you know work pitchers, draw walks, good line drive stroke, plays two infield positions capably. So Bannon, although he slips outside of our top 30, I wouldn't sleep on him, and I still think that Given the Orioles' struggles in the infield and the fact that Bannon is healthy now, we could see him in the majors before the year is over. Yeah, speaking of someone who might have been playing hurt for a while before actually going on the IL, I think hopefully that, and honestly, hopefully that's the case for Bannon because he was really bad before that. Um, but I really, I think, yeah, like you said, he's on the forty man, and there's no depth at the major league level at the position he's played. So could definitely see him getting a chance up there. And how awesome is it to be talking about international guys like Gonzalez and Deson uh, on this podcast? It's incredible. I mean, Gonzalez looks really comfortable at the plate. Seen some uh, video of him, uh, maybe even from Eric, who's said that his hip turn is legit. He hit a home run today. Um, so that's cool to see. And Desan, yeah, he just seems like an exciting player. I think the Orioles are really high on Desan because uh, Matt Blood mentioned him almost first out of the gate when we ta- asked him a question. Um, Eric, uh, Treza, Joe Treza on Twitter, he has been doing a series on uh, MLB.com about the international signings that the Orioles got, and Desan was the first one, and you would think that's a guy they really want to highlight. So, yeah, very excited about him. That speed, gap power, hit tool combination out of center field could be good. And Maverick Hanley, yeah, it's it's just a matter of if he can hit enough to be a backup catcher, and he almost cannot – like not hit good enough to do that. His defense, that made no sense, but his defense is so good that even if he's like Austin wins out there uh, in the batter's box, that's, he's going to be at least make his major league debut at some point. Yeah. I love the Joe Trezza piece on Dayson. Uh He just seems like a really fun laid back kind of guy uh, that uh, be interesting to get to know his personality a little bit. Hopefully we see him in Del Marvin next year, but um and he's actually, you look at the Michael Gibbons trade, we talk about Taron Vavra a lot and Tyler Nevin as well. Who Tyler Nevin is a guy who should be on the major league roster right now. Um, but Desan might have the highest ceiling among all three of those guys. And he's a name that gets overlooked. So that's, that is great from Michael Gibbons, who, again, who knows what he's doing. Uh, I don't think he's very good though. Um, he's playing for the Rockies and we've talked about the Rockies a lot, but um, yeah, Hanley, I love him. Just, he is so much fun to watch behind the plate. I mean, it, the back picks at first base, these are like Yadier Molina type moves. I mean, Yadier ain't got nothing on Maverick Hanley. I, I feel like these, it's that kind of defense behind on plate. It's, it's fun. And the bat is starting to come around. He's been hitting a lot more recently, but yeah. The, and there was this uh, driveline put up a blog, a really detailed blog about what, he did in the offseason over at Driveline to uh, become a better hitter. I, I like it. Uh, I like the whole package. I think at worst, he's a guy you keep in your system for years and years and years to help develop minor league pitchers. But I think there is a home for him at the major league level eventually. Um, with Bannon, you know, I mean, I'm going to go back. I was just looking up now at the Orioles game. that The Orioles are winning 2 nothing against the Rays in the third inning. Spencer Watkins is uh, almost through three innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, four strikeouts. 
and he, uh, behind John Means, obviously, is the uh, number two pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles this year. Uh, so credit to Spencer Watkins there. Um, that's saying a lot more about Spencer Watkins in the Orioles rotation. All right. Get that straight. First of all, he said that Rylan Bannon, I believe when he, when we interviewed him, he said Rylan Bannon was the guy who stuck out to him. Like he just, you can't get him out. He's so pesky. Um, he's a pesky of a hitter. That's going to drive you nuts. Uh, and that's the kind of play I do see with Bannon. It is disappointing, but I agree with Zach that don't sleep on him quite yet. The numbers aren't great. I know that, but he can play a good third base a better second base. He's versatile. He's got surprising pop in the bat and he's, he's got that utility guy vibe. And I think hopefully he turns it around at the end of the year and gets a shot. And emergency catcher too. Don't forget yes. that. Never exactly. forget. Yes. Because we don't know when that might, that need might arise. So um, that does it for our look at the top 50 list. As I mentioned, it will be up on Baltimore sports and life on Tuesday with full reports for players from one, uh, Adley Rutzman, to number 50. And I'll let you find out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com who number 50 is. Uh, but be sure to check that out as it will be fun to read. Uh, Bob has his three up, three down, down on the farm pieces on the site as well. And I'll have a story later this week looking at whose stocks went up the most um, between the time that we put together this list. And, you know, Kyle Bradis is a name that I can tell you will be on there because uh, of how far he moved up, but there'll be some other guys on there as well. So uh, before we wrap up here, just general thoughts, Nick or Bob, um, about this, about our list and about the state of the farm system right now. Yeah, I'll go. I mean, I think this is a tremendous amount of depth that the system has. I think even like Nick said, players that weren't on our top 50 will probably make a contribution to the major league team at one point or another. I have a personal list of a hundred, my top 100, and I have 50 other names on top of that who are, I'm just keeping an eye on, checking in on them and, and, and interested in. It's just such a deep, the floor has been raised like tenfold. I would love to go back and look at uh, the top 50 prospects from the 2018 Orioles and, and compare it to now. So I, I just love doing what we do. And this was just a great exercise to see the transformation of the system over the past few years. Yeah, very deep, very fun. I like the way this list ended up shaking out. Of course, you know, you can go to baltimoresportslife.com and rip it apart if you like to. Uh, but yeah, there are definitely some guys outside this top 50, like Bob mentioned, that we know that there's probably no one in this list that gives a 180 list. Oh, that's that's deep. Um, Join our Patreon <laughs> for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are guys. I mean, you got guys like Marcos Diplon, who was in the Futures game, not on our top 50. You have guys, uh, I don't want to spoil maybe the back in the top 50, but uh, you have some power hitting first basemen who are on our top 50. My guy, Brendan Hanafy, could not crack the top 50 list this year because of his time with John surgery. Um, so many young international guys that the organization has hyped up for over a year now. Uh, you know, Isaac De Leon, uh, Noel Worth Ramiro. He's been putting up some pretty decent box score numbers down there in the Florida Complex League. But a deep system, a fun system, and here we are. I'm excited to see how these guys finish the year. It's almost over. It's, it sucks to think that. But Some contribute ask next week, worst 30. I don't know that I have the energy for that after going through a top 50 list. <laughs> We're keeping it. Yeah. We're keeping it positive yes. over here. <laughs> That's a funny idea, though. Um, yeah, next week should be interesting. We have a couple things up our sleeves. We'll see what we go with when it's yep. up. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds. In the meantime, uh, check out our content there. We're giving nightly updates when there is games taking place, and you'll be Breaking able to news. find. 
Yes, breaking news, that's correct. And we did have breaking news this morning uh, with the promotions of Hudson Haskin, uh, Zach Peak, among others, from Delmarva to Aberdeen. So we'll have breaking news, video highlights, updates on the show, and more at BSL and the Birds on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and hop on the message board and join the discussion. Bob, Nick, and I will be responding to posts uh, in the message board when this list goes up. So you'll have a chance to interact with us there as well. So for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds.